whatever you hear starts to influence what you're going to believe. And what you believe starts to influence your spiritual growth and your spiritual life. Hallelujah. Well, this morning, it's important that I start this off in this vein pertaining to in a time of prayer when we announced earlier in the year that this year would be a year of visions and dreams or dreams and visions, whichever you want. Uh, I got over and started praying about this. And uh, in the meantime, the Lord was showing me that we had neglected uh, the mind had been neglected in the teachings of the church. And uh, basically, uh, the verse of Scripture that was found in uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, where you renew your mind, and that's about all it was. And a lot of people even have asked me in the past, you know, about renewing their mind or whatever, saying it in a flippant manner, not taking it serious. But here's the whole problem here. As you delve into the study of the mind and understand the the principles and the functions of the mind, you understand (coughs) your mind controls you. There's nothing that you and I do that's outside of our minds. And the reason, one of the major reasons that a person is to renew their mind with the Word of God is to keep you on the right side of issues. If your mind's not renewed to the Word of God, when something uh, occurs, we all have a tendency to default to the natural, default to how it has been, default to uh, self-preservation, default to whatever. If our minds have been properly renewed, it's easier to get on the right side of every issue. Come on. This isn't mumbo-jumbo this morning. This is truth. It's very easy to get on the right side of the issues or whatever. You know, and I'm using the term issue loosely. I'm trying to identify, trying to make it broad so it would identify any particular thing. Uh, Whether it be, whether it be, on your job, in your life, with your family, or in this church. You still have an opportunity to get on the wrong side of whatever it is. You got to understand there's two sides functioning all the time. There's God's side and Lucifer's side. And we came out of Lucifer's family whether you want to admit it or not. That's what redemption, we were redeemed from darkness into light. But just because we were redeemed into light doesn't mean we understand how light functions. That's why we have to renew our minds. And so we, went, we, we were working uh, some on, on the, uh, the, the mind renewal and talking about the, the functions of the mind, and we broadened it out and made it loose. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to be a psychiatrist, but I'm trying to tell you that the mind has made two major functions, imagination and memory. And we have a tremendous, we, most of us have an opportunity in our life to live in the memory side. Because the reason why we do that is the mind defaults to that. You know what? You understand what I mean when I say default? It's like a computer and a program. 
there's a, there's, a set pro, uh, there's a set activity in that program that if you don't change it, the computer will automatically default to that. It will automatically go to that every time unless you change it. Now, when you change it, it'll go to what you change it to. Well, the mind is the same way. We don't realize it because we grew up with this mind, and it's us, and it functions with us all the time. But if you start paying attention, you'll realize when you sit down and you get quiet, the first thing that kicks in is your mind defaults to memory, just like that. And you have to make it come out of memory into imagination. You don't automatically imagine stuff. You automatically remember stuff. And the scripture says God works off our imagination, not off of our memory, because that's past. Faith is now. It's, mem- it's imagination. Matter of fact, Paul uh, has written and he said, anything you can imagine, you can do. God's behind your imagination. And the idea here to understand God is you have to imagine God. And the, and the guidelines to imagine God is the scripture. See, most people, they have a, so ever who painted that picture that's in most Baptist churches in the hallway going to the classrooms? Is Jesus standing there with a little lamb in his arm and his staff? That imagination is wrong. They didn't get that imagination from the Scripture. That came out of a man's man's imagination, and he drew it, and people bought it and thought it was wonderful, and they start paying attention to it, and the next thing you know, every time the name of Jesus is mentioned, that's what comes up in them. Now, he is the shepherd, okay? But that man made a mistake when he painted Jesus like that. If you really want to get a good picture of Jesus, go over and see the vision that John had in Revelation, and you'll get a picture of Jesus, the real Jesus. He wasn't, his eyes were flashing like fire. He wasn't carrying a little lamb under his arm. So the whole point here is paying attention. it's It's a lifetime endeavor, okay? You read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you think you can do that in one setting or take one little Bible course. No, 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 no. To renew one's mind is a lifetime endeavor. And don't fight it. Join it. Get serious about it. Start working on it. Start understanding that you need to renew your mind. And one of the major reasons why you need to renew your mind is so that you don't get on the wrong side of every issue. I put out a video in 1986 for Brother Hagen called, Is This Necessary? I was on the wrong side of the issue. Yes, it's necessary. In his meetings, I used to sit there all the time and say to myself, this ain't necessary, this ain't necessary, this ain't necessary. Why? Because I was on the wrong side of the issue. My mind had not been renewed to the Word of God. I was functioning from a default. Everything was mental and everything was natural. I could not see the spiritual because the natural overrode it. Did you know that'll happen? 
The natural, you think you're so spiritual, the natural in you will override the spiritual if you don't stop it. You have to stop it. That's why, this is why when we say the Spirit of God is in you and upon you. We have a responsibility. We can't just glide through and expect everything to function and then blame God when it fails. That's the, that's the latest theme. No, God's in charge. <laughs> it seems like that's the basic, basic line. Well, God's in charge. God's not in charge. He gave, the, he gave it away to Adam years and years and years ago. Nobody seems to remember that. Well, they weren't there to transaction, but it's written down. There's a record of it. And then what happened? Adam gave it away too. So the world is sublet out to Satan. So why don't you start blaming the real culprit? It's not God. It's Satan. He's in charge. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells you he's the God of this world. The only God, the only God Almighty functioning in the world is the body of Christ. You can't send the Holy Ghost on an assignment. The body of Christ is in the earth to accomplish the plan and purpose and the will of God. But how can they when they haven't renewed their mind and all these other things are going on and they're failing and falling and fumbling? The majority have no vision. And I'm glad you brought that up. Habakkuk 2.2 this morning. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will surely come, it will not tarry. Okay, so listen to me. Let's get some understanding real quick. I, I had a, a huge sermon on this that I'll do later to understand. We're not talking about, when, when you say vision, we're not talking about an idea for your future. That could be called your vision. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that God has showed you, a real vision. Okay? And uh, the one that I'm familiar with is the one that I was involved with 45 years ago. And, and I had listened to me. I told my wife this week, I said, I started, I started looking and trying to find some, uh, someone who, had, who is teaching or has taught on uh, visions. Well, I, she had me Brother Hagin's book, and I read it, but I already knew Brother Hagin's book on visions. It's not... It doesn't. It talks about his visions. It doesn't talk about visions in, in, within themselves, what they are, how they function, what they mean. Okay, God communicates to His people through visions. Okay, now listen. In uh, forty-five years ago, I had just gotten born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. I was on fire for God. Uh, I was interested. I, I was so far, I was so far 
I, I was so far behind, okay? I didn't have a clue about anything biblically. I did not know anything about the scripture. I wasn't a, a student of the word. I was scared of God. I'd been taught to be afraid of God. I was in the, always in the wrong place at the wrong time. God to me was somebody that was angry. And if you didn't do exactly right, he thumped you. And if you, and if you didn't tithe, he extracted it from you by all kind of ungodly means. Now, this is the vision that I had of God. Okay? Now, listen. I had been searching for God all my life. I knew there was a God. I was afraid of him. But I was even more afraid of hell. Because I knew there was a hell. Because in the church that I went to, they believed in hell more than they believed in anything else. And they preached hell so hot you could feel the heat every service was a hellfire and brimstone service. It didn't make any difference if you were already saved. They could preach hell to you to the degree that they would make a saint afraid. And that's what they did. They preached to everyone as if they were sinners. When they weren't. But they didn't know any better. I'm not faulting them. All I know is they imprinted in the, uh, they imprinted in the nine-year-old's mind the importance of escaping hell. Okay, I was sitting there in, in the pew and just tremble because it was that real. But the problem was. They couldn't tell you how to be redeemed. They could just tell you you ought to. And then, the, then after, the, after some experience that you went through with them, then they would explain to you that in the morning, the sky is going to be bluer and the birds are going to sing clearer. I couldn't wait to get up in the morning. The sky wasn't bluer and there wasn't no birds singing. I didn't get saved. That's not what gets you saved. And I searched for the answer for years and years and years. God never visited me in the night. One day, I'm in a service, and a man is giving his testimony. And in the middle of his testimony, it, he, he kept going, you know, he just kept, I was loving it because he's talking to me. He's drawing my picture of my life all the time he's talking. And I'm saying to myself, oh, that's me, that's me. And at the end, he realized, it was on Easter Sunday, he realized that he had gone extra too far, too long. He commenced to apologize. And I'm saying, keep going, don't stop. And so he apologized to the church.
Then he said the key. He said, if I had time, here's what I would do. I would take you to Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. And I would lead you into salvation. I didn't hear anything else. That's what I've been looking for for years was Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. And as my custom was in those days, I was a huge football fan. And so I was too vocal for my wife. She couldn't take it. She would go to her mother's and leave me home alone. And I would... uh, and I would play football all afternoon. So on this particular Sunday, I took her to her mother's, and I knew what I was going to do. I don't think I even spoke to her while that took her there, because I didn't want to break the church. I didn't want to break it. I didn't want to interfere with what was happening in my heart. Excuse me. So uh, I let her out. I rushed home. I don't even know if I turned the car off. I threw it in park, opened the back door, ran all the way down the hall, hit the floor on my knees, and put my face in an easy chair. And when I got up, I was saved. I was redeemed, and I knew it. I knew it. The thing that I'd been searching for all those years. I finally had succeeded. God had saved me. All the fear, all the pain, all the agony was gone. I was free. I'd been in bondage, so much bondage from bad preaching. All of it was gone. I I was just saved with no knowledge. Nothing. But I'll tell you what. I was hungry. My wife and I, we went to work to satisfy that hunger. We, we, I, I was driving a truck for a company and the tractor I was driving belonged to the vice president. He called me in his office and said, here, this is my truck. I lease it back to my own company, and I want you to drive it. Treat it like it's yours. I said, great. I went out and put speakers all in it. I had eight speakers in that tractor. Everybody else was going CB crazy. I bought me a tape deck, strapped it to the doghouse. Would leave home with a suitcase full of tapes. I listened to tapes, 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 tapes. The reason I like tapes rather than radio is on the radio when they say it, they just say it. With a tape, you can run it back and re-listen to it. And it was so much in there that I'd never heard before. I just kept I just had the rewind button right there with my, by my fingers. It just rewind it, replay it, rewind it, replay it. Okay, so this is what my life had been consisting of, this hunger. Then on an early one spring morning, I got dispatched to Cell River. 
pick up a load of Selenese to go to the ports down in Charleston at the dock. And after I picked up my load from Rock Hill, and there was no Interstate 77. It was 21 or go through Chester. And I would go back and forth, back and forth, just to break it up. So this particular morning, I uh, decided to go 21, which would take me down through Great Falls and on into uh, Ridgeway. And as I rolled into, listen to me, I no more had an idea that this was going to happen than a man in the moon. None. I was just driving, doing my job, thinking about how I could, how I could get to Charleston faster. That was the whole idea. Fast, fast, speed, get there, get it out, get gone, get someplace else. Because the more, the more miles you make, the more money you make. That's the only way you get paid. And as I rolled up to red light, one light in town. As I rolled up to the light, it turned red just as I pulled up, or it turned yellow, and I stopped. And the moment I stopped, bang, I heard a voice. Just a voice. I couldn't tell what it said. It was just a voice. And I had a sleeper cab and had a curtain behind me with a bunk behind that. And I thought somebody snuck into a tractor. And so I slapped the curtain back. And of course, but deep down inside, I knew there wasn't anybody back there. I knew that voice. Your knower knows. I did it out of reflex. And then I turned back around. And when I turned back around, my mind was not suspended, my eyes were not suspended, and my ears were not suspended. It was an open vision. There are vision where all that's suspended. Mine wasn't. I could see. And I could hear. And I saw something. I saw people starting to come across the crosswalk. And as I looked, nobody told me to look at them. The instruction was, I just looked. And the, the first one I saw, the first, there were about seven or eight deep, maybe across, coming. And if you looked that way, it was as far as you could see, a long line of people, eight, eight across, all the way. And as they came across in front of me, they went out of sight. This way, they just kept going right across the street, and they just went on out of sight. But the problem was what they looked like. I never saw anything in my life that looked like this. I couldn't figure it out. I, I, in my mind, I couldn't tell what it was. Nobody, not one person that crossed that cross was normal. There was, they were grotesque. When I say they were, they, they would have a full body, little bitty arms, little bitty head, just Shocking. Not, not like a freak you'd see in a circus. It was hitting you. See, it wasn't mental. It was spiritual. It was in my spirit. And it was hurting my spirit to see this. Really hurting my spirit. Not my mind. My spirit. And as I saw this, you know, going on, I yelled out. What is, what am I seeing? 
What is this? And that same voice spoke to me clear and said, this is my body. I'm calling you. I'm calling you to cause my body to develop and fill out. And I started saying, no, no, no. No, not me. You know better. You know I can't do this. I can't. I just can't. I'm not equipped. Well, as long as I was pushing back, the people kept coming across. And the intensity was getting more difficult to maintain. I'm coming apart. I'm crying. I'm wet. I'm wet all the way to my waist. Tears just flushing out of my eyes. My heart must have been running 90 miles an hour. I felt like I was going to come unglued all over. And I said, no, uh-uh. I'll be glad to help somebody. You assigned it to somebody, and I'll be right there with them. I'll help them. No, that wasn't what the question was. So when it looked like I couldn't take this any longer, and I realized what, who I was talking to and what I was seeing, I said, I'll do it, but I'm not, I'm not capable, but I'll do it, whatever, whatever, I'll do it. In the moment that I said that, the vision's gone. I'm looking up at the red light, and it's just turning green. And I couldn't even get the clutch pushed in. My legs were so weak, I was so weak and so discombobulated and I'm thinking first thought that came to me was there's three people on the crosswalk waiting to come across natural people and I'm thinking boy if they look up here and see me they'll swear up and down I've been on pills for years because pills make you sometimes make you do this they, they mess with your mind if you stay on them so long you see things that aren't there and do crazy stuff. But uh, I wasn't on pills. I had an encounter with God Almighty. And when I finally took, stood up and pushed the clutch in and got in gear, I'm still just coming apart. I mean, I'm just shaking like this. I don't know what happened to me. So I eased on down the road, found a place out there in the country, pulled off the road, got all the got off the pavement, completely in the ditch. Shut the truck down, got out, went around and sat down on the ground and leaned back on the right front wheel, front wheel, and said, what happened to me? What was that? Okay, now listen, my mind had not been renewed, so my mind starts to kick in and tell me that that was not real. That's a figment of your imagination. That was not real. But you know what? I had enough water coming down out of my, my whole shirt all the way down to my trousers was soaking wet enough to prove, if that's not real, where did all this come from? 
the vision was to cause God's people to rise up and take their rightful place in the body of Christ. That was 45 years ago. And listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's what Paul said to King Agrippa. I say the same thing. We have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. The Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, not talking about being able to see, talking about an inf- an influx of God's wisdom through a vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law or keepeth the vision, happy is he. This church, Grace Christian Center, has always been based upon a vision. Sometimes we say this, but we don't go into detail and Maybe people do not understand and they're not comprehending what we mean. See, this church was not an idea that Cheryl and Philip Jackson had. This church was God raised up over a period of time, okay? This vision happened in, I think, about spring of 75, and we didn't go to Rama till fall of 76, entered into Tulsa, Oklahoma. But in the meantime, we had, we had tried to do all kind of things. We don't have time this morning to, to explain all the things we tried. Thank God we listened to, we, was learn, we were at that time learning how to hear the voice of God and how to follow the voice of God. And all of a sudden, you get this idea. You don't know where it came from. We weren't familiar at this point with where they came from. It was an idea. Somebody said, you know, Duke, the Duke University has a, has a program that Methodists can send young ministers to. And uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a seminary program. Well, immediately, we, we're, in the Meth- we're in the Methodist church. Sure, that was God telling us that. So we go and start trying to apply for it. That wasn't God. That wasn't where I was supposed to go. And I thank God I got delivered out of that foolishness. Can you imagine how deep we could have got in that? That religious mumbo-jumbo and have to dig out of it. So God said, and God sent a man once to us. And he said from the pulpit, You've tried to do this, and you've tried to do this. You've, I was so frustrated. I called, I called all of the leading word of faith ministers. I sent letters to them, inviting them. This church was being conducted at Quality Inn downtown on McDowell and 4th Street. I sent letters everything. I didn't even get a response. Nobody even said, we, we don't have time on our schedule. They just ignore you. Nothing. But then God sent someone by. Willie George came by, and we let, it, 
he had a, a, some youth rally here in town, and so we, he, uh, we, uh, we had Willie to minister. And by the Holy Ghost, he said, you've been doing this, and you've been doing that, and you've been doing this, and you've been inviting here, and you've been trying this, and you've been trying that. And the Lord said, I kept that from you. I want you pure. Don't want this church contaminated because this is God's church. This isn't a Baptist church. This isn't a Presbyterian's church. This isn't a Lutheran's church. This isn't Philip and Cheryl Jackson's church. This is God's church. We just happen to be the assignment to watch over it and protect it and honor it and love it and support it. So this view 45 years ago, the vision, we've tried not to be disobedient to that vision. Without a vision, we have nothing. Listen. I went to some preacher meetings at times in the past trying to discern if they had a vision. On the way once, while driving, I prayed most of the way there, and I said to the Holy Ghost, I said, I don't know how, it may not be any of my business, but I would like to know if you could show me when I get there if you could show me what these ministers, what all these ministers, what, what ministry, what are they doing? What are they teaching their people? What are they doing? I expected the Holy Ghost to say, you know, really, that's none of your business. That's my business. But he didn't say that. When I got there, first thing that happened, we all went in, uh, renewed old acquaintance, just haven't seen them for a year or whatever. There was a table the table was put in a horseshoe fashion like this all the way. Leader was at the, that, there. That, I was over here on this corner right here. The thing went two sides. It went, people were here all the way around, came around all the way back around where people seated. The leadership stood up and said, welcome to everybody, blah, 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 and said who he was and what this was all about. And he said, we're going to start off this morning uh, with you, pointing to the man on the corner over there, said, would you stand up and say, introduce yourself, say who you are and where your church is, what's what, what, all about your church. And then, then would you tell all about everybody what you've been ministering lately? I like to fell out of the chair. I hadn't prayed that 30 minutes before, and here it is right in front of me. The Lord said, listen, listen. So the first guy stood up, and he did this. Second guy, second, all of them. Nothing. Nothing. No vision. Without a vision, the people perish. I don't care what you call it. You can call it the first whatever. 
If it doesn't have a vision from God, it's perishing. Now, you look at it and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's 900 people there. See, you're on the wrong side already. When God said it's perishing, he doesn't mean physically. He means in here, in the spirit realm. They're perishing spiritually. You're not perishing spiritually. Without a vision, we have nothing to anchor our focus upon. Without that vision, we make no progress. We get off course. We run around in circles. We collapse. Though we perish without them, with them we, we thrive in the Spirit. Without the vision, you perish, but with the vision, you thrive in the Spirit. This church thrives in the Spirit. Amen. The whole idea here is to, upper, is to grasp the truth and understand. God doesn't work the way our minds do. See, God's not natural. He's spiritual. And what he does is above the spiritual realm. I mean the natural realm. We have to educate ourselves by praying in the Holy Ghost. This is a benefit of speaking in tongues that everybody, you know, everybody say, I don't understand. I, I, I didn't understand tongues because I'd been taught against tongues in the Baptist church all my life. But, but I recognized a family that there was something different and I, my wife and I quizzed them and the first thing they said have you heard of the baptism of the Holy Ghost man I'm like I'm like in the scriptures we never knew there was a Holy Ghost I didn't know anything about it I said no is it available to everybody can everybody be receive this they said yeah I said well do you know how to do that they said no Dead in again. Right back to Baptist church. They don't know how to tell you anything either. These people, they got something, but they can't tell you how to get it. But that didn't stop us. I said, if they can have it, we can have it. If, we, if it's there, we can get it. We just got to know how to do it. Took me about three months. Took my wife about a month. But took me three months to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Because I had to wade through all kind of stupid unbelief. I wish I could have filmed it. Because I'm like, I wouldn't have to work again anymore, ever. The church would be financially rich off of the video of the dumb stuff I did. My buddy and I, we, he was trying, I was trying. He's on one side of the bed, I'm on the other. We go like this. <laughs> then we look at each other. You get anything? No, nope, I didn't get nothing. Well, he said, well, I heard, I heard that God wouldn't fill you if you had jewelry on. Really? You got, we took everything off. You get anything? Nope. Listen, this wasn't a one-night event. This was like months. He and I roomed together. We was working at a Westinghouse plant in, Cul in Culpeper, Virginia. 
I come home on the weekends and had to work up there all week. Couldn't wait to get through and run to the motel and start our ritual of getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He gave up. I saw him about a year ago. He never did get filled. I didn't give up. It's there. I got to find it. I got to find it. And I found it. Somebody said, well, the Lord would have showed you. Well, before the Lord could show me the real truth, I got to wade through a bunch of unbelief. Stuff that people had told me about it. That's why you got to be careful what you hear. Jesus said that. I didn't realize what he meant. Whatever you hear starts to influence what you're going to believe. And what you believe starts to influence your spiritual growth and your spiritual life. And I believed all the wrong stuff. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for praying in other tongues. Thank God. Thank God. Listen, if nobody on the planet speaks in tongues but me, I'll be a tongue talker till I leave the planet. It's too valuable. It is too valuable. And I'm, a, I'm just ashamed at how the Holy Spirit is mistreated in the world today. I'm, I'm just ashamed. I read again sometime this morning, somebody's got a, a deal out, you know, that America's got to get on her knees and repent. America's got to get on her knees and repent or there's going to be judgment. And I'm thinking, really? If you're really going to go down this path, don't you think coronavirus is pretty good? But there's no such thing. See? Go, don't, don't, don't fall for this stuff. Go in and read Romans and understand it. There is nothing for America to repent for. Nothing. Somebody said, well, what about all this stuff that they're doing? Look, uh, you don't understand. Every person that is saved is saved. They have nothing to repent for. They will never have anything to repent for. Because Jesus has paid the price for them. He will not pay it again, and you can't pay it. It's paid in full, one time on the cross. Jesus paid it all. Nobody understands that. They come up with these cockamamie ideas that God is going to judge something. No, 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 no. Not as long as the body of Christ that's bought and paid for by Jesus' blood, as long as that body's on this earth, there will be no paying for anything. The moment that this body of Christ leaves the earth, ha-ha, payday. Oh, there'll be some judgment then. You can read about it in Revelations. But as long as the body of Christ, the blood-bought church, is on this planet, there will be no judgment to anyone. <laughs> 